On the last Sunday of December 1962, a small group of faithful followers of Jesus gathered here to worship for the first time together. Their prayer that day was that this tiny seed they were planting would grow into oaks of righteousness, as Isaiah 61 says, and that they would glorify the Lord. They believed that the church mattered and could be a lighthouse shining the love of Jesus in Bloomington and beyond. And it wasn't long until God started answering their prayer. And this new church that started from humble beginnings began to grow and mature. In 1963, they relocated to the corner of Walnut and Grimes and became Walnut Street Christian Church. They loved and served one another. They made sacrifices for the church and the church to come. Ten years later, this young congregation moved to a new location on Winslow Road. They were eager to continue their mission and wanted to be present in the developing Sherwood Oaks neighborhood. And to identify with their new neighbors, they changed their name to Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Fast forward to today, that faithful group that gathered here in 1962, believing that the church matters, has now grown into a vibrant church family in two different communities that continues to love and serve one another and seeks to glorify the Lord while bringing hope and joy to this community and beyond. And while so much has changed at Sherwood Oaks since 1962, our core conviction is still the same. The church matters. Not just the building, but the people. The church matters to Jesus. It's his body sent out on mission to love him and serve others. It matters to us in the way that we show up for one another being a steady presence of empathy and care in the good times and in the bad. And the church matters to our community as we seek to build bridges of friendship and trust to those who are not yet connected to Jesus. As we approach the 60th anniversary of Sherwood Oaks Christian Church, we believe that the church still matters. Because when you find Jesus, and you find your people, and you find your purpose, and everything changes. Well, good morning. The church matters. I love what Sean shared. Sean is our senior pastor. He oversees the, our churches both here in Bedford and up in Bloomington. Um, I am privileged to work alongside Sean. He was the campus pastor here at this campus for about three years before he was appointed to that position up there. Um, so it's a blessing to, to get it here at his heart. I think he came through as he shared about the, the reason the church matters we're surrounded by people who don't find the church mattering that much to them these days. Maybe you know someone who used to be part of a vibrant community and now isn't for some reason. The church doesn't matter as much to them anymore. And that's so sad because I believe in the church. I love the church. I know what the church can do and has done and will do in the future as we trust in God. I love the church. I love the various expressions of the church within our own community, the various places and the people who serve there and who worship God in different, different congregations. I love how together we serve the same purpose and mission of God. All of that to say that I hope you're as big a fan of the church as I am. And if you're not, I hope that as we finish this series, you will gain a renewed understanding of the value of God's church, the expression of his body here on earth. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dig into God's word. Heavenly Father, 
The church is your idea. Therefore, God, whatever our perspectives, whatever our preferences are, whatever our plans are, we want them to align with your purpose. As we study your plan for the church through the words in the Bible that you've, you've entrusted to us, help us conform our desire to your design. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been around this congregation for a while at all, you know that one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 133. The psalm begins this way, Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren or sistren dwell together in unity. That's the King James Version. I love the King James Version because it goes on to say this, there in that place where people are living together in unity, the Lord commands a blessing. Like there's... There's no alternative. God commanded a blessing to be in the place where people live together in unity. I've experienced that. I've experienced that blessing and that beauty. Sadly, our world knows more about disunity than it knows about unity. It's not just something that happens around us today. It's happened really from the very, 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 very beginning there in the book of Genesis. We read where Adam's disobedience had immediate consequences to the unity around him. It affected his unity with God, that sense of oneness he had as he and God walked in the cool of the evening, conversing and enjoying this beautiful, unbroken relationship. It affected his relationship with his wife. They were created to serve with each other, and all of a sudden, they're at tension and at odds with each other. The relationship and the unity that they once experienced was broken by mistrust and um, accusations. It destroyed the, the unity that, that Adam had with creation. Adam was, was part of this creation and given responsibility for it in this amazing way. And when Adam's sins and disobedience thrust him out of that relationship, perfect relationship with God and with Eve, his wife, it also affected his relationship with creation around him. And he was removed from this place where he had purpose and and a mission and a ministry, and he was cast outside of that. It, it affected his relationship with creation. It didn't end with Adam. His own children experienced the same thing, disunity. One of them lost their actual life because of that disunity. That conflict that began with Adam, carried on to his sons, it, it affects us today, doesn't it? Everywhere we look, we can see relational brokenness. Maybe you've experienced that in your own lives, with people you know, people you love, situations that are sad, but they're broken. One of the reasons I love going to the men's shelter and serving there and hearing those stories is because, because in addition to, to seeing this, the transformation of, of men who come in worn out and weary from the world who, who are just looking for a place to, to rest, they find that, but they also find a place to recover and recoup and regain their lives in many ways. Some amazing stories are told there with the men at the warming shelter. So many of those stories, though, begin with brokenness, a relationship that, that got sundered apart by something, usually sin, usually some sort of addiction or disobedience, something that broke that relationship and broke the trust and connection they had with others that landed them in a place where they were on their own, living homeless. 
sadly, you see men so controlled by, by pride or shame or guilt that they can't really muster the courage to, to return and be reconciled to their families. So when it happens, it's amazing. I'll tell you about my friend, I'll call him Joshua, who came out of prison a year ago with nothing, no connections, no relationships. But because of investments of people exhibiting and sharing the grace of God with him, he finds himself in a much different place a year from now, a year from then. Today, he is employed, like with two jobs. He's got a car and a place to live. And even more important to me is the fact that every other weekend, he drives back to Dayton, Ohio, to see his daughter. That relationship that was broken has been restored. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Reconciliation is so transformative for men who need to find a place to be and belong. That's why the ministry of the church is so important because just as these men need reconciliation, the church exists to help people reconcile back to God. Reconcile simply means to restore something that's broken, specifically a relationship in our, in our, in our instance. We have the privilege as a church to point the world back to God through Jesus who restored that same relationship to God with us. Now, why do we need to be reconciled? We talked about this with Adam. Adam's sin got, got him removed from his home and God's presence. Our sin does the same thing. Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah talks about um, all of us like sheep. He uses uh, this descriptor, like sheep have gone astray, left the fold, wandered out on our own. Each of us has turned to its own way. And can you picture that little sheep? Uh, the darkness is closing in. The storm is coming. The rain is pouring down. He's, he's on a rocky ledge. The, he's stumbling, and there's some, some crumbling around him. He is on his way to disaster. And if, and if he doesn't fall over the cliff, he's got predators all around him just waiting for the moment when they can attack. That's the state we find ourselves in. In fact, the scripture says, that's the state all creation finds itself in, like sheep who have gone astray, each of us, turning to our own way. When we look at this picture of, of brokenness, we see that mankind needs to be reconciled back to God. We are separated from God, and you look around and you see evidence all over. It's true today. It was true back in Paul's time. To the Galatians, Paul wrote this, the works of the flesh are evident. Just look around, he says. Here's what it looks like around us. Does this sound familiar? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger. I experienced that much just on the drive to church this morning, it seems like. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Man, this is a world that is broken and needs to be reconciled back to God. But not only does mankind need to be reconciled back to God, but, but creation itself, nature needs to be reconciled back to God. Romans talks about nature groaning. Groaning in a sense that it knows that there is more to come that it's not yet experienced Groaning that says, I, I want back into the relationship with, with God 
that we had at the beginning where everything was fruitful and abundant and at peace. The scriptures talk about a time when that will come true where the lion and the lamb will lie down together, but we are not there yet, are we? Floods, hurricanes, earthquakes, famine, pestilence, disease, the perfection of creation was spoiled by sin, and nothing in nature has been the same since. The earth needs to be reconciled back to God, mankind, the earth. And this may surprise you, but even heaven, even heaven is affected and broken by sin. And you say, how can that be? Heaven is where God sits and judges. Surely heaven is already perfectly aligned with God's perfection and holiness. Well, not yet, the scriptures indicate. If you know the story of, of the angels and their rebellion in heaven, sin found a place to take root and pride took a place to, found a place to flourish and the angels rebelled against God and were cast down. That's one instance of the heavens not being yet perfect. Job tells us that, that Satan comes and, and has, a, has an audience with the king of heaven. Satan finds himself right there in the perfection and the holiness of heaven. Now how can that be? Revelation tells us that now, around the throne of heaven, the saints of God who have suffered and died for their faith cry out, how long, O Lord, until, until our lives are avenged? There will come a day when every tear will be wiped away. But that's not yet according to Scripture. Everything, mankind, nature, even heaven, is far from where it should be. Everything needs to be reconciled back to God. And we might expect that God would say, that's right, so get your stinking act together. Do what I tell you to do. Come on, how hard is this, guys? Straighten up and fly right so that you and I can be reconciled. After all, that's what we do, don't we? When we're in an unreconciled relationship. We say, well, you can come home when you stop drinking. You can see the kids if you go into rehab. But God doesn't make those demands on us. God doesn't ask us to initiate the reconciliation. God initiates our reconciliation. Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 says this, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were strung out, even when we were far from God, even when we were living in absolute rebellion to him, even when we were like that sheep, determined to go our own way, even though it was leading straight to destruction, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The immeasurable riches of his grace. The immeasurable riches of his grace. Immeasurable. What does immeasurable mean? It means you can't measure it. There is no way to put a limit or a measure on God's grace, the immeasurable riches of his grace. And he shows that 
and his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God reconciled us back to himself. How? Through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes, no one is reconciled back to the Father except by me. So how does that work? Well, that works by way of the cross. Colossians says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ Jesus. And through him, Christ Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus humbly and joyfully shouldered our sin, guilt, and our shame burden and paid the penalty that we had incurred all because God so loved the world. Because of Jesus, because of Christ Jesus on the cross, we are reconciled back to God. We experience peace with God. And this is a long journey to get us to the place where we ask the question, why church matters? Well, church matters because we are now God's agents and ambassadors of this same kind of reconciliation. Paul, speaking to you and I, says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and that that's the majority of us, I think. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And that means that the old is gone. That's gone. That's in the past. Instead, we focus on the, the here and the now. And the here and the now is the new creation. And this is a reality because of God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you've got your Bibles, underline that there. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does that look like? Well, it looks like us telling this good news that God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ and he doesn't count people's sins against them. I don't know of anyone else who doesn't count our sins against us. In Christ Jesus, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. And so God, we're making his appeal through us, the church. You and I have been commissioned with the responsibility to share the good news of Jesus, that God is no longer angry with you. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is no longer angry with you. This may be someone that you're still a little bit ticked off with, that's all right. If you had, a, if you had a, 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 a confrontation in the car on the way here, this is the perfect time to turn to them and say, I'm still a little bit ticked. But God is no longer angry with you. God is not angry. How many of us need to hear that every once in a while? God is not angry with us. He wants us to be reconciled. He wants us to be back in relationship with himself. He's not waiting until we prove that we're, we're worthy of it or that we deserve it. He's not waiting until we measure up. He's like, no, 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 no. I'll do the heavy lifting, guys. I will initiate the reconciliation. And he does this through us. <laughs> we get a chance to share with other people this joyful good news that God isn't angry and God wants to be in relationship with others. We become the voice of God. Wives, turn to your husbands. Say, I am the voice of God. Husbands, say the same thing. 
I'm the voice of God. You can say it with a deeper voice, with more authority. I'm the voice of God. The truth is we are the voice of God. We make God's appeal for him. He has entrusted that message to us. We get to speak with the voice of God when we speak about his grace and his mercy, his kindness to us. We are the voice of God. How does that work? Remember, Jesus was the incarnation of the Father. So Jesus says, whenever I speak, the Father is speaking. Whatever you see me do, it's the Father that you see doing that. I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen him. Jesus was the incarnation of the Father. The Bible says that, catch this, the Bible says that we are the incarnation of Jesus. We are the incarnation of Jesus. When people see us, they should see Jesus. I say should because they don't always. But we are the incarnation of Jesus. Here's how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians. He says that you are the body of Christ. Now we think of that term as just referencing some sort of idea that somehow we we do what Jesus tells us to do, and we gather on Sunday morning, and we form a church, and that church in the Bible is called by this term the, the body of Christ. But have we ever taken full, full measure of that phrase? When the Bible says that we are the body of Christ, it means that in every particular, we, we represent and look like Jesus to a world around us. We are Jesus in our community. We are the body of Christ. Now, individually, of, I would say most of us don't live in that reality. That's why, that's why God formed us into a new thing, the body of Christ, where everyone, Paul says, everyone is a part of this new incarnation of Jesus here in Bedford, Indiana. Together, you and I make up the body of Christ. We are the Jesus that this world will encounter. We are his body commissioned to continue the message, to continue the work, to continue to carry this gospel of grace to all creation, not just mankind, but to the world, the world around us, nature itself. We are commissioned to reconcile nature back to God. What does that look like when you think about your role as the body of Christ, reconciling even nature back to God? When Jesus says, peace be still to the storms. He says, we are now the incarnation of Jesus. We can speak into creation itself and bring it back into reconciliation with God. Man, at the very least, that means that we should, we should be taking care of what God has entrusted to us. Amen? But it's not just nature. Mostly, it affects the people in our lives, people we work with, people we live with, people we love, people we used to be in good relationship with but now aren't because of brokenness. But we are commissioned to speak into and live into and walk into this space where there's brokenness and to become ministers of reconciliation. How do we do that? Well, first of all, ambassadors never speak with their own voice. They always speak with the voice of the authority that has sent them. They always represent and speak for their sending authority. Jesus has sent us, and so we speak with the voice of Jesus when we speak. 
And as agents and ambassadors of reconciliation, we represent our sending authority. We represent Jesus and we speak with his voice. How does that, how does that work? And particularly, what does that look like? Well, it looks, it looks like this. Whenever we extend the same grace that was extended to us, we are, we are being an agent and ambassador of Jesus. So I think about Jesus. I think about Jesus and the boldness of his message. He was not afraid of offending the authorities, the religious authorities in particular. Jesus was bold with his message. And so when God gives us the opportunity, we will be bold with that message too. We'll speak clearly and with authority knowing that we, <laughs> we have been commissioned to do this. And we do it so that those who are still far from God can be brought near. They can hear the word. They can hear it and understand it clearly. And those who are far can be drawn near to experience peace with God through Jesus Christ. We're committed to sharing the gospel here at Sherwood Oaks. We need you guys to be committed to the same thing, to share your witness boldly. Along with boldness, though, we also, we also want to represent Jesus by by being kind. We were drawn to God, the scriptures say, with cords of loving kindness. And so as a church, we are going to refuse to be harsh or divisive. Instead, we're going to reflect God's kindness and his gentleness. So our focus here at Sherwood Oaks is not on bridge burning. And there are some organizations that focus on bridge burning. But we're not bridge burners. We're bridge builders. And so anytime we get the chance to build a bridge between an unbelieving person or a situation or an entity, we're going to take that opportunity to build bridges. We're not going to be bridge builders, not bridge burners. And we need you to be bridge builders, not bridge burners. Be kind. We're going to be generous. God was so generous with us that he gave the closest thing to his heart. He gave his son. And so we will model the generosity of God by being generous with others through our tithes and offerings as we, as we meet the needs here in our own community, but also as we meet the needs around the world. We, we will be a generous community. We need you to be generous as well. Patience. You know, God is patient with us, and we're going to be patient with others. We're going to be quick to listen and we're going to seek to understand. Rather than get defensive and offensive, we're going to be gentle and patient with others. We need you to be patient as well. Our posture will be one of grace, humility, and compassion. And so we want you, the body of Christ, to do the same thing. We're going to be cooperative. Cooperative is an interesting thing, isn't it? This just simply means that we're going to cultivate unity and not divisiveness. So we're going to partner with others, other churches in our community and other agencies in our community that, that, are, that are propelling the same mission as our church. So agencies like Bertha's Mission, we're going to partner with them at least once a year. We're going to be doing it in November. We're going to help serve our community a Thanksgiving meal. We do it here. Um, you show up in the morning. You package some food together. Cars begin to line up, and uh, at 2 o'clock, we start serving meals to families so that they have a Thanksgiving dinner to take home. 
Hope Resource Center, a great, a great ministry here in our community. Becky's Place, another great ministry in our community. And these are, these are ministries that serve at-risk families. We want to come alongside and help them do that. The Men's Shelter, I talked about that. I love these agencies and these, these, these organizations because they give the church the opportunity to actually serve Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus says that whenever you come and you visited me in prison or I was hungry or thirsty or naked or sick, lonely, and you visited me, you fed me, you clothed me, you took care of me, then you were doing it to me. Whenever you do it to the least of these, Jesus says, you do it to me. And when we serve this, this population, we actually get to serve Jesus. It's not just here in our community, though. I love the fact that we've got, we've got global partners around the world. And so, so uh, I want to take some of you guys with me to, to Kenya. It's a long flight, but, but most of us are still young enough to live through it, survive it. I want to take you to Nairobi, and I want to introduce you to, to the Missions of Hope International team and visit the schools and be part of their clinics and come alongside those, those training centers where they're teaching men and women new skills that they can use to provide for themselves and their family. I want this congregation to be a key part of, of groups that are serving the least of these in other parts of the world. I want you to be a team player, to jump on board, partner with us in this. At the end of this, this uh, season, we're going to celebrate our 60th anniversary as a church, and we're going to invite all, everyone to recommit to being a partner with Sherwood Oaks. If you are aligned with our values and our vision, we're going to ask you to, to, to just step up and say, I want to be a partner in this. I want to be part of what God's doing here. And I, know, and I want you to be able to count on me to live out the vision and values that this church espouses as we are ambassadors and agents for God's reconciliation. Man, we want to be thankful people, don't we? We live in the goodness of God. We sing that song. Everywhere we look, we see God's goodness to us. And so we want to make every effort to not be complainers or grumblers or whiners, but we want to be thankful to reframe every problem in terms of how God can work through it and how God is showing his kindness and faithfulness to us. We want to be thankful people. We want to be a thankful church, and that means that you need to be thankful people because you are members of Christ's body. We want to be hospitable. Hospitable is a, a word the Bible uses for its leaders. Leaders need to be hospitable. Hospitality doesn't mean being able to throw a great dinner party. Great dinner parties are fun, but that's not what hospitality means. Hospitality means we invite others into our lives so they can see up close and personal what it means to follow Jesus. I love, I love the women's ministry and, and their, their focus on these come-as-you-are groups where people, people find their people. That's sort of their tagline. And, and we believe that finding your people changes everything. Knowing that you belong somewhere can change your whole outlook and perspective on life. So we need you to be welcoming as a church we are welcoming. All this is the work of an ambassador. Directing attention to God's faithfulness, his grace, his forgiveness. Doing it in such a way that others are witnesses of it. And are drawn themselves. That there's a hunger that begins to develop in their own hearts. To experience the same kind of relationship. That you are talking and living out. And if we're doing this well as a church. Then we will be the best church for our community. I believe that with all my heart. But that means that our, 
our attitudes and our actions need to align with God's values and God's heart. There are too many who name the name of Christ, who call themselves Christians, but it doesn't change their attitude. It doesn't change the way they speak. It doesn't change their language or how they treat someone who offends them or, or hurts them. It doesn't change how they think about their money and their resources. They have just as much unforgiveness or bitterness as the, as the world around them. And to those believers, I would say, Jesus warns us that we may come before him and he says, I don't, I don't know you. I don't want to hear those words from Jesus. I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, good and faithful ambassador and agent of reconciliation. So that's, that's why church matters this morning, to move people toward a reconciled relationship with God. And it may seem like an overwhelming responsibility, but Paul says that the love of God that we've experienced in Christ Jesus should compel us to this. We can't help it if we've experienced God's love. And if you... If you have forgotten what that feels like, if Christ's love does not compel you like it used to, then I'm going to ask you to return to the cross. We're going to share in a time of communion now. Those who are going to help with that, you can go ahead and, and get ready to serve. But communion is always a beautiful time, a beautiful opportunity to return our attention to the cross. The cross is God's great symbol of reconciliation. I love what uh, uh, Kent, you said. The cross is the evidence that there is no link that God will not go to reconcile us back to himself. We were like that stumbling, fumbling, proudly determined little sheep, just insistent on its own destruction. But God intervened and gave us Jesus while we were still sinners. The scripture says Christ died for us. So if you're a believer here this morning, we invite you to share in this time of communion where we reflect on God's grace, the grace that we've received, and we open our hearts and our minds to consider how God is going to use us this week in the area of reconciliation. So take the cup and the bread. Think about and meditate on God's graciousness to you. But I would also ask you to just consider a relationship in your life, a situation, a place that as yet remains unreconciled back to God. And consider that God may be calling you to be the agent and ambassador of reconciliation in that instance. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the work that you initiated through Jesus. It brought us back into relationship with you. So as we take the bread and the cup, we give thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus, who joyfully took on our sin shame and our guilt burden, bore it to Calvary, and freed us from it. His sacrifice accomplished what none of our best efforts could do. He reconciled us back to you. Now, we want to, we want to be agents of reconciliation ourselves. We want to be the best church for our community. And so, so we pray this week that we would get a chance to boldly share our faith. You would remind us to be kind and patient with others as we do so. We pray that you would give us courage to be generous with our resources and to, to boldly trust you when anxious thoughts, anxious thoughts would tempt us to withhold. Father, we pray that faith-filled thoughts would compel us to be generous. Give us courage to open our lives up to others. We don't want to be a church or a people who keep good news to ourselves. We want to be people who share it, who, 
who eagerly embrace this role and this mission they've called us to here in our community at Bedford to be ambassadors of reconciliation in this ministry of reconciliation. This is why the church is important to you and this is why it should matter to us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.